Good morning, let's stand.
let's have a seat. Welcome to church. Welcome to Murray Hills. Glad you're here. I'm going to do uh, the welcome. It's going to be really quick, and then we're going to jump into communion. But first of all, we just are glad you're here, especially if you're a first-time guest. We want to know that you're here. Make sure you take some time and fill out a card that's in front of you. Um, fill that out, and then here in a moment as we share communion, we have tables around the room. You can go to any of the boxes that are mounted on the wall and uh, put that card in. Just let us know that you were here. Let us know what needs you have. Um, let us know um, if you have any questions at all. We're very happy that you're here today. Even if you're uh, a regular attender, I guess we're happy you're here too. But um, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to be emotional, man. I was backstage with the team and um, I've only got a couple more, a uh, couple more weeks left here. Um, I was praying before we came out here, and I said, Lord, please help me not take all these minutes for granted. And then I stopped, and I'm like, Lord, it sounds like I'm dying. I'm not dying. <laughs> it's weird. It's so weird. Um, I am, I just cherish uh, this, this place so much. It's such a beautiful place, and it's been so healing and transformative for me um, over the past uh, several years that I've been working here um, and sharing just general thoughts as we tee up for communion is one of my very favorite things that I've been able to do. And sometimes I go too long. I know. Um, I'll try not to do that today. Um, but as I was thinking about communion this morning, um, the scripture that came to mind was Psalm 23, especially as I was considering the song that we would be singing as we share communion. Um, the lyrics of the song that we're about to sing says, I'm caught up in your presence just want to sit here at your feet. Um, and it's this declaration of nothing is good enough but you, Lord. Your presence, you and your goodness is all I desire. And you'll see why I'm, I'm referencing that as we get to the end of the psalm. But you've heard the psalm so many times, I'm sure. If you haven't been to church before, if you've never really read the scripture, Psalm 23 is probably one of those top uh, scriptures in all of the Bible um, that people reference. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is the one, man. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that the psalmist, probably not even understanding that thousands of years later, we would find such comfort in his words that he wrote. That to be in the presence of God in this moment of communion is enough. You don't have to bring anything to him. 
You don't have to bring perfection to him. You don't have to bring an empty slate. You don't have to have a perfect family. A 4.1 GPA, that's a thing. Um, barely got a 3.5. <laughs> You don't have to have it together. And that's the invitation for you today. As we gather around these tables every Sunday as a family, none of us, as we look at each other in the eye, expect the other to be perfect, to have it all together, to know all of the answers, to have all of it tied and buttoned up. That's not what he wants from us. He just wants us to acknowledge rest in his presence and that's what we're here to do for these next several minutes before we hear a message man we're going to share communion together what a beautiful time and then we're going to sing because it's true lord thank you thank you for loving us so well even when we don't love you well for wanting us to be in your house forever and for that invitation. God, I can't speak for everyone in this room, but I'm going to tell you right now, that's all I want. Nothing else will do. Help us to see you in the mundane. Help us to see you when things are broken dirty. Help us to trust that you're enough. I love you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand and gather around these tables.
again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah Say hallelujah And I know it's not much I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing hallelujah Say hallelujah So I throw up my hands I praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah Say for a heart singing hallelujah hallelujah amen you may be seated amen while you're being seated kids can head to kids ministry miss tammy's waiting over uh, at that door right over there you guys know the way. If you got a Bible with you, go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 12 today. Uh, but we're going to get here this way. Thank you, Scott. Um, we're in a series called At the Movies. And this week, we're looking at a movie that you probably never heard of until I mentioned it last week called Hunt for the Wilder People. And uh, it's the number one movie in New Zealand film history. What I understand, like this is a New Zealand film. It was uh, produced in New Zealand in 2016, and then it was uh, hit the Sundance Film Festival in the U.S. But it grossed 12 million in New Zealand. That's number one New Zealand film right there. So New Zealand's not known for its film industry apparently. Um, in the U.S., it grossed five million. Now, for reference, this movie's been out what? what was that seven years? Uh, for reference. Super Mario Brothers in three months has grossed 573 million in the U.S. and 773 million worldwide. So Super Mario Brothers sits at 1.3 billion, and I declined to preach on that one. We showed it last week in the uh, in the family movie night, but I declined to preach on it. I chose instead this this New Zealand film right here, and um, it's a great little quirky, weird, funny. Film, And you're probably wondering how in the world I'm going to preach on it. But uh, you'll see in just a minute. But if you did not see the film, I want to give you a little bit of an idea of what it's about. So here's what it's about. Ricky Baker. He is a bad egg. A youth court regular. We're hoping that this change of scene will help straighten him out. You hungry? That's a silly question, isn't it? Look at you. <laughs> Ricky Baker, now you are 13 years old. You are a teenager and you're as good as gold. Ricky, this is heck. You can call him uncle if you like. No, I can't. Father told me to tell you that you should give me something to do. Is there anything you want me to do? Yeah. Leave me alone. Cool. 
Never been up in that jungle before? There's about a million hectares of it, buddy. It's easy to get lost. You lost? Oh. I'm amazed how lost you got. You little bastard! We got no choice but to camp out here for a few weeks. Where are you, Ricky Baker? More on this massive national manhunt. Faulkner is Caucasian. Well, they got that wrong because you're obviously white. You're going to jail, you pervert. What you call me? Yeah, pervert. Back up, homies, and let go of my uncle. So what do we do now? We run. No, we don't need to run. Huh? Oh, yeah. This is fast walk. Gonna be rough. No huts, no tents, real bush life. And if you play up, I dump you. Okay, Uncle. I'd still prefer if you don't call me Uncle. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? What's the fastest way out of here? Jetpack! Do you actually have a jetpack? No? What? We're offering $10,000 to anyone who can capture them, dead or alive. Oh. Alive. They should be alive. Grumpy! Oh, she's a bit grumpy around here. Ricky! 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 Running. Yeah, and I'll never stop chasing you. I'm relentless. I'm like the Terminator. I'm more like Terminator than you. I said at first you're more like Sarah Connor. And in, in the first movie, too, before she could do chin-ups. Okay, so uh, here's what I learned watching this movie. Apparently, I'm a fan of New Zealand humor. I had no idea. Uh, but I, I thought this movie was funny. Um, I thought Ricky Baker was funny. I thought Auntie was funny. I thought uh, Psycho Sam was obviously funny. And really, the, the DCS lady, or the, you know, the child welfare services, she was my favorite actress in the whole movie, was the, the child welfare service. She was at the very end of that uh, clip right there. Hector, not so funny, but he played a really good grumpy old man. And uh, so that was um, Sam Neill. That was the only actor I recognized from the whole thing. But here's what it's about. Ricky Baker is in the foster care program uh, in New Zealand, and he's defined as a real bad egg. He's, you know kick stuff, hit stuff, set stuff on fire, loitering, graffiti, they go through this whole list. But he's this real bad egg. Nobody wants uh, to have Ricky in their home, except uh, they take him to the home of Bella, who's this real bubbly lady in a cat sweater. And uh, she just kind of bowls him over with love and kindness. So she wants to be called Auntie, and, and, and she just kind of slowly wins Ricky over at the first part of the movie by just her kindness. He doesn't want to be with her. He doesn't want to stay there. But she just keeps showing kindness to him. And she does it in just the right way. Not too much. She doesn't push too hard. It's just the right amount. Uh, he runs away the first night. She goes out there and finds him when he wakes up. I think she's sitting over there um, telling him about breakfast. And she's like, well, come get some breakfast. And then you can run away after you get some breakfast in you. And so, like, she's just, just the perfect uh, person to care for him. Uh, Hector is not so... Uh, kind to him. So Hector is her husband, Heck, or uncle, who doesn't want to be called uncle, and so he's kind of standoffish. However, they, they kind of form a family. In the first 15 minutes of the movie, they form a family, and so Ricky starts to feel more comfortable there. Uh, they have this birthday party for him on his 13th birthday, and she plays that electric piano with a song that will get it. Like, I was going to show that song, but it'll get in your head, and you won't be able to hear anything the rest of the, the day. 
Um, but he starts to feel good. They give him his present, and he's like, this is the best birthday I've ever had. And he stops and says, this is the only birthday I've ever had. And so in the first 15 minutes, it's a real kind of feel-good, like, ah, but the movie's only, we've only been going 15 minutes. There's got to be some conflict. Well, there is. Auntie suddenly dies. And um, Child Welfare Services informs Hector that Ricky can't stay with him because the situation has changed. And uh, Hector is fine with it. He just says, that's life. you got to deal with it. Ricky's not fine with it. So Ricky fakes his own death. Burns down the barn in the process, runs into the bush or the Australian woods, if you will, and uh, Hector goes off to find him. And when he finds him, Hector hurts his ankle, and they end up staying for three to four weeks while his ankle's healing. So, this is the whole plot summary of the movie. During that time, Child Welfare Services shows back up and realizes that Ricky's missing. He's gone with Hector. Hector has a criminal record, and this massive manhunt begins. And the whole rest of the movie is kind of this adventure comedy uh, bit where they're trying to elude authorities and along the way they kind of become friends along the way. Uh, it reminded me of this movie. If you remember this one from a couple years ago, we did Peanut Butter Falcon and it's kind of the same type movie. You know, there's, there's one person who desperately wants to be included and accepted and taken along on the journey and there's another person who's kind of begrudgingly doesn't want them to come and Let's them come, takes them under their wing, and, and along the way they form this close friendship. And this is used often in Hollywood, but I think they do a really good job. This was not Hollywood, I guess, but I think they do a really good job with this one of not overplaying their hand, if you will. Now, the theme of the movie, the overall theme is belonging. I mean, that's the, the, the whole thing. The whole movie is about belonging, and it's about family, and it's about how we all long to be a part of a family. Even if the family's not perfect, even if the family's weird, even if the family, you know, is kind of standoffish, we still long to be part of a family. And uh, that reminded me of, there was a group that did some, some ads for foster care, encouraging foster care. And you remember, they, they, it was like, you don't have to be a perfect dad to be a dad. Or you don't have to be a perfect mom to be a mom. You don't, you know, you don't have to be a perfect parent in order to be a parent. And that was kind of, I thought of that watching this film, you know, you don't, Hector was certainly not a perfect parent, but he was a parent. And that's what Ricky wanted the most, was just a parent. And so belonging's this overall theme, and we're going to talk about belonging, but there was a secondary theme in the movie too that I found watching just two minutes of it. And it's the, the two minutes that happened in a church. Now, I'm always, this is just me, because I'm a pastor, I'm always interested in how church is portrayed in Hollywood. So, because it's kind of a commentary, it's kind of a social commentary of how people feel about churches. And so, there was this two-minute scene that happened at Bella's funeral, uh, and it was really one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And I'm going to use it to set up this whole message, which if you were trying to watch the movie and figure out, like some of you, when you watch these movies, you're like, I wonder what he's going to pick. I wonder which clip he's going to show out of this movie. I'm going to say this was on none of your radar. Uh, like you were not thinking he's going to use the funeral scene from this movie because it's, it's, it's really weird and quirky. I want to show it, and then we'll kind of talk about the two things. I want to show it because I want you to pay attention to two things. I want you to pay attention to who's in the church, what the church looks like, and I want you to pay attention to what the preacher or the pastor or the priest or whoever it is in this context, pay attention to what he's saying or really what he's trying to say. So uh, watch this. By the way, if you're watching online, you're going to get kicked off right now. You know, some parts in life, it seems like there's no way out. 
like a sheep trapped in a maze designed by wolves. And you know that if you're ever in that situation, there are always two doors to choose from. And through the first door, oh, it's easy to get through that door and on the other side, waiting for you are all the nummiest treats you can imagine. Fanta, Doritos, LMP, Burger Rings, Coke Zero. But you know what, there's also another door. Not the burger ring door, not the Fanta door. Another door that's harder to get through. Guess what's on the other side? Anyone want to take a guess? Vegetables? N no. no, not vegetables. No. Jesus? You will think Jesus. I thought Jesus the first time I, I, I come across that door. Not Jesus. It's another door. And guess what's on the other side of that door? Jesus. Jesus, yeah, Jesus. It's tricky like that, Jesus. So let us pray to Jesus, please, to make it a bit easier to get through those doors and to find you and your bounty of delicious confectionery. Thank you, Selena. Take it away. There's two things, in my opinion, there's two things, two basic things any church should provide for us. Uh, one is clarity, and one is uh, community. And that church failed to, to provide both. And I want to talk about both of those briefly. So we're going to start with, with clarity. Churches have a simple message. We have the simplest message in the world. Life is better through Jesus. I mean, that, that's the, uh, salvation can be found through Jesus. That's the simple message of churches. But churches are notoriously guilty of cluttering up that message and making it confusing. We're notoriously guilty, and pastors are to blame a lot, for trying to make that message cutesy and entertaining and relevant. And along the way, we just make the message weird. I'm thinking of things like... When I was a youth minister in the 1990s, we did Christian t-shirts. You remember Christian t-shirts? I guess they're still out there. Uh, and you would take popular brands and co-opt them for Christianity. You know, like Jesus, sweet Savior, King of Kings, or, you know, these are kind of, you know, enjoy Jesus Christ. What does it say at the, and thou shalt never thirst. So, like, this was popular in the 90s, and this was, like, one of the ways that Christians, you know, tried to be cute. I hope you don't have one of these on today because I'm making fun of them. But uh, they get progressively worse, you know, like, relish sweet Jesus. Let's exalt his name together, or this one's the worst. Uh, mayo light shine for Jesus. Spread it around. I, I'm, I sincerely hope that's a parody shirt and not a real shirt. I hope that they're making fun of this and that's not a real shirt. But those are just examples of, like, where we've tried to take the message of Jesus and make it cute. Uh, other things that we do is uh, we try to confuse or conflate the message by making every issue of biblical interpretation equal to, to Jesus. I mean, we take every, every little interpretation, every little idea from this book and, and make that equal to, to Jesus, which actually waters down the message of Jesus because we've, we've taken all these minor issues and made them the major issue. Um, we've become guilty of taking just a verse or two 
and elevating that and making our whole theology or our whole identity, even worse, around that particular verse. And I'm thinking like, you know, there's a little verse in Revelation about the thousand-year reign. And there's been countless debates and books and theologies and churches that have developed over whether you're a premillennial or a postmillennial. And most of us now today don't even know what either of those terms mean. But it's just one little verse. And we've kind of taken that and made it the most important verse. Or doing what the priest did in there. The priest, uh, in an effort to be relevant or to look smart, he really does neither, and he comes off as confusing. And I've heard a few sermons like that in my life. You've probably heard a few sermons like that in your life where you're kind of watching it and going, what in, the, what in the world are they talking about? Like, I don't know what, they're, I don't know what in the world they're talking about. Where you try to just, and it's not just, it's become even, you think, well, that's, it used to be that way, don't even, not that way anymore. Yeah, now that reels and TikToks are popular, a lot of preachers like to put their stuff on a reel and TikTok and, you know, knock it down to 30 seconds there. And I watch a bunch of those and go, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to say there? So sometimes in an effort to be too relevant, too smart, too cutesy, too fanatical, too fundamentalist, too deep, um, we confuse the, the message. It's like we try to take a simple message of who Jesus is and, and, and make it, difficult because our main objective I think a lot of times is to say wow look at us how deep he is how, how relevant he is how wow that was an, that was amazing message rather than to say look at Jesus and here's what the apostle Paul had to say about it first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 he says brothers and sisters think of it uh, when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards not many were influential not many were of noble birth but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let, no one, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, Paul sets all of this up with uh, quoting Isaiah 29, 14 that says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. And it's real fitting if you know the context because Corinth was a very cosmopolitan city. So Corinth was a place where all of these kind of philosophers and, and intellectuals were constantly debating all the ideas of the day. Uh, the commentary I read about it described Corinth in this way. So-called wise men who had their own solutions to humanity's problems were on every street corner. And I'm like, hey, sounds like social media today. You know, where you're, you're constantly, everybody's telling you, here's the, here's the solution to every problem, and all these intellectuals are, are uh, communicating their ideas and their thoughts and their philosophies. And Paul's whole point here is that the Christian message does not depend on human intellect or cultural savvy. It doesn't depend on wise and persuasive words. It doesn't depend on, you know, this, you gotta, you got to have all the right, you got to, it doesn't depend on cultural relevance even if you want to. It depends on a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so Paul is communicating to the Corinthian church that 
when, when we bring a message of Jesus, we don't have to be wise or influential or wealthy or strong. We just need to preach Jesus. Jesus is enough. He doesn't need us to make it appealing. He doesn't need us to make it relevant. You just preach Jesus. As the famous saying goes, if necessary, use words. So, you know, let your actions preach Jesus. That's, that's, that's something that a church should provide for us. And as members of a church, that's something we should provide for our community. We provide clarity about who Jesus is. Now, the second thing, and this was really the theme of the whole movie. I, just, I was struck when I watched the funeral scene of like, who's in the, who's in the, uh, the pews for the church? And very few, like six people or seven people. And, uh, you know, they're all spaced out, staring straight ahead, expressionless. Um, for some of us, that was our church experience. Like, that's, that's kind of that's church. You know, you, you sit in rows and you listen to somebody talk and you go home and it doesn't really make much difference in your life. And that's not really what church should be about. Like, church, church happens in groups. It happens in circles rather than rows we talk about. And um, it should be a place of belonging. So it should be a place where the Ricky Bakers of the world, where the Hectors of the world, where the, where the Bellas of the world, um, maybe even the Psycho Sams of the world, it's a place where they belong and you have belonging. And Paul talks about this in Corinthians as well. And I want to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're familiar with this, but listen to it in the context of belonging. Here's what he says. He says, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, uh, Stop being a part of the body. And he's kind of building his basic argument. Like if you go back in these early parts of the verses here in, in verse 12 and verse 13, he's building his basic argument that you belong. Regardless of whether or not you feel like you belong, regardless of whether or not others may or may make you feel like you belong. I know that a lot of times, you know, you hear preachers say everybody's welcome, and you hear preachers say you belong, and church is a place for everybody, but you don't feel that way. Well, what we, Paul is saying we, you do belong regardless. The church is supposed to be a place of belonging. And he's explaining unity, but he's explaining also the value of, of diversity. And he gives this analogy between you know, the foot and the ear. You, know, you can't say, well, I'm not, I'm not this part of the body, so I don't belong. Or I'm not this part of the body, because, so I don't belong. He said, if the whole body were an eye, uh, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And it's, again, it's about unity, but you hear the diversity. You hear both of these things. And Paul is recognized, like, we as a church don't have to all agree. We shouldn't all be of the same political persuasion. We shouldn't all be of the same gender. We shouldn't all be of the same race. We shouldn't all be of the same economic background. We shouldn't all be of the same mindset doctrinally we got to agree on christ but there's a lot of things that you probably believe that i don't believe when it comes to to the scriptures and there's that's okay like it, the, the body has different parts we all have different gifts that we bring we all have different talents we all have different backgrounds we all have different life experiences that we bring and that's what makes the body strong and the reason he's telling this to the corinthians is because they were fussing uh they were making divisions based upon spiritual gifts 
So there were some people that said, well, if you have this spiritual gift, it's better than this spiritual gift. So people who have this spiritual gift are better than this people. And, and Paul's trying to explain to them, no, you need all of those gifts. You need all of those backgrounds. You need all those experiences. You need all of that diversity. And so he's, you know, he uses that analogy of the body to say, if we were all the same, what good would that be? That's essentially what he's saying there. If we're all the same, what good would it be? But he says, God has placed the parts in the body just as he wanted them to be. And, and there's many parts, but there's, there's one body. And then I think at the end of that section, he then tells you not only that you know, God has placed you in the body and you're a part of the body, but he talks about how to help us feel like we belong, how to help each other feel like we belong. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God, look at this next sentence right here. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And I think what, what Paul's explaining there is the way you create a sense of belonging. Like, it's one thing to have a theological belief like, well, God has put the body together so you belong. You know, the Bible says you belong, you belong. Okay, that's, that's the theological foundation of it. How do we communicate belonging to other people? By showing equal concern for their needs. And that's what, you know, like the, this, this description of if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. It's one part's honored, every part rejoices with it. It's, it's the equal concern that we have for one another that communicates belonging. And if you think back to the movie, you know, Ricky learns this early in the movie because Bella continues to show equal concern for him, auntie. She continues to show concern for, for Ricky. You know, she puts the little hot water uh, bottle in his bed to warm up his bed. She makes sure that he has meals. She makes sure he has a birthday party. You know, she does these little things to show that, that he is loved and that he belongs. And Ricky is a kid that doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. And through those little acts of concern, she, she communicates to him that belongs. The interesting thing is the rest of the movie, Ricky does that for Hector. Because Hector is a grumpy old man, and you don't become a grumpy old man because life is good. You become grumpy because life's not going like you want it. And he's mourning the passage of his wife, but he's also, I don't know what's going on in Hector's life. You know, we don't know what Hector's backstory is, but Ricky is the one who shows continuous concern for Hector. And he just kind of continually loves him and continually is kind to him. And it's just those, those little small acts of concern communicate to Hector that he belongs. And by the end of the movie, he's quoting uh, haiku, which was a poetry that he learned uh, when he was, I don't know what it was, it was in counseling or something. He had to do a haiku to kind of help him control his anger, Ricky. And so Hector's quoting that and even accepts begrudgingly, accepts a hug because eventually um, kindness breaks through and everyone uh, needs to know that they belong. And we show that with just, you know, kind of good old fashioned concern and care. So to me, that's the, the challenge of, as a community of faith, what we provide for each other and what we provide for the world is a clear message that life is better through Jesus. And the, we foster a community of belonging, a place where you can belong. And, and you do that person to person, face to face, conversation to conversation. It doesn't happen through screens. It doesn't happen through a social media strategy. It doesn't happen through 
lights and fog machines. It doesn't happen through hip preaching. You know, it doesn't all all the all the ways that churches have tried to say, "Oh, we're going to make Christianity relevant," and then everybody's just going to flock to the doors. People are going to flock to the doors when we make communion when we make Christianity about Jesus and about belonging, because that's the, that's one of the reasons that people flocked to Jesus was that they felt like in His presence they belonged, that they were somebody. He valued them and and welcomed them into His. Uh, circle so uh, it has to be something that has to be practiced because person to person and we're not going to do it perfectly i can promise you this church does not do it perfectly the other church that you leave this church for because we didn't do it perfectly they won't do it perfectly either the church that you're coming from because they didn't perfectly and you're coming to this church we won't do it perfectly either no church does it perfectly but um you don't have to be a perfect church in order to be the church you don't have to be a perfect christian in order to be a christian and so we keep striving to do that. So let me say a word of prayer for us. I got just a few announcements and we'll be dismissed. Okay. Father, I thank you for uh, the letter to the Corinthians. I'm thankful for the, the things that Paul wrote there. His honesty at the first part about uh, not coming with wise and persuasive words, but just a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then um, him explaining how we all belong, that you have put us in this body. You have put us here for a reason. You have arranged the parts of the body in the way that you want. And we all belong, and we should show equal concern for one another. So pray you help us to do that uh, as we go throughout our lives. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus. Pray these things. Amen. All right. Uh, whoops. Hold on. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, let's go ahead and put the offering up. So I'm going to go ahead and let you know about that. Uh, if you're giving electronically, murrayhills.com forward slash give. Text an amount to that number. You can do all that through the app. If you're giving with check or cash today, the boxes where you drop your communication cards. So if you filled out a communication card or a prayer request card, put that in those boxes and the uh, offering goes there too. Uh, next week's movie is The Banker. And uh, this one was released in, I think, 2020, something like that. Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Anthony Mackie are the two stars of this one. I think this one kind of flew under the radar during COVID for some reason because I had not heard of it or seen it, and I just stumbled across it on uh, on Apple TV. So this is Apple TV, uh, or you could stream it on demand. So that's next week's movie. It's about it's a, it's a really interesting story. It's a true story about these two guys that uh, purchased some banks in the 1960s when they were not allowed to purchase banks, and they used kind of a, a pseudonym to do that. So anyway, you'll 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 see. It's a great movie. Um, couple of things. That we need to talk about. One, if you are uh, staying today, well, you'll be coming back today. If you RSVP'd for that, we do an active shooter training today. And we're doing this for all of our safety team and our children's ministry volunteers and our staff. But we decided to open it up to the church. And it was a good idea because we've got about 70-something folks registered. If you registered, we've got a box lunch for you. If you didn't register but you would still like to come, you're welcome. You'll just have to run and get you something to eat and come back. Just, just bring it back. But it's going to be in this room, and it'll start about 1230. Uh, Sergeant Jennifer Dalton will be doing that. Uh, and it's 1230 to 233, something like that. It usually takes about two hours. Uh, the other one is I sent this via email, and I just wanted to let you know about it. Uh, Faith Firearms and Community Safety in Middle Tennessee. This is a panel discussion they asked me to be a part of, and so I'm kind of helping them get the word out about it. It's at First Presbyterian Church on Wednesday, July 26th at 6 p.m. And so this whole thing came out of uh, what happened at Covenant. And there were some parents in Nashville that were connected to Covenant School that formed a group called Voices for Safer Tennessee. And they basically did what we did, uh, except on a larger scale. Uh, when Covenant happened, our leadership got together and said, what do, what do we do? 
Like, what do we do? We, like, we have to, how do we respond? You know, what, what do we do? One of our responses was we need to provide more training for our volunteers and more training for our team members and our staff and that kind of stuff. Uh, this group's kind of taking that to another level and saying, what do we do as a community in Middle Tennessee? And so uh, it's myself and Dr. C.W. Ball and a, a guy named Todd Cruz, who's from Nashville. He's the chairman for Voices for Safer Tennessee. And Trent Ogilvie, my buddy, is going to uh, moderate it. And um, so just be watching. That'll be some stuff coming out on social media. Then the last thing I need to let you know about, and we'll get you out of here. Uh, you know, Scott, you heard Scott talk about he's leaving very soon. He's only got two more Sundays after this Sunday to lead worship. And so we've had to start a search for a new worship pastor. And I wanted to give you a little update on that search. It's over. Um, we've hired a new worship pastor. So Tiffany Caldwell will start uh, officially. As Her first Sunday will be August. Now, Tiffany's been on staff with us for three or four years, but in a part-time capacity. She'll move to a full-time capacity and be over worship and social media. And so I wanted to let you know that. So Scott's last Sunday's uh, the last Sunday of this month. Tiffany's first Sunday will be the first Sunday of next month. So if you see her, say congratulations. And you can stop asking her now. Are you going to do the job? Are you going to take the job? Are you gonna take the job? She's like, everybody's asking me every Sunday. And so, yes, she is going to do the job. We, our search included one phone call and one interview to one person because that's who we wanted was Tiffany. And she, she agreed to do that. So we're excited about that. All right. I got to get you out of here because you're going to have to line up outside. Sorry. Everybody rush to the exits. And get there before anybody else because the traffic's going to be bad because I kept you over a little bit today. But uh, next Sunday, we'll see you next Sunday. We'll talk about the banker or this afternoon if you're coming.